Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio. Welcome back, director, writer, actor. Uh, is that the right order, Pat Mills? Sure, yeah, that works for me. Okay. <laughs> Do you just change it up depending on the party it or depends. the vibe? I just switch things up, you know, throw things on the floor and see what happens. What yeah. They drop in. You are back once again at TIFF with Don't Talk to Irene. This is your follow-up after Guidance. It is, yeah. yeah. So it feels really, really good to play TIFF again because it did so many good things for Guidance. So I'm really looking forward to you know getting an audience and, and getting it out there. Explain uh, Don't Talk to Irene, just what the premise is. You've been carrying this around for a while, too. I have. I um, first pitched this at TIFF in 2008. So it's been nine years since then, which is insane. But it is about an outcast girl named Irene and she has a bad relationship with her mother and she's fat and she gets bullied at school and she has one dream and it's to become a cheerleader uh, and she has a lot of opposition obviously uh, from kids at school and then she ends up being the victim of a prank and her and her bullies get suspended and have to do two weeks at a community service at a retirement home uh, and then she keeps her dream of being a cheerleader alive by assembling the old folks in the home uh, and creates like a, a dance crew out of them to then uh, audition for a reality show. <laughs> All right. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. It's a pretty uh, crazy movie. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, like, you've been carrying this, you pitched this back in like 2008 at a TIFF pitch this competition, right? Mm-hmm. What was kind of the initial spark or what was the image that kind of, you kind of kept going through all these years? Obviously, you took a detour with guidance. Yeah, well, the, what kept me going was just this character that I came up with. And I really liked her and I really wanted to tell her story. So while the the film, you know, it evolves, the script evolved uh, so many times in, in the nine years, the character of Irene never really budged. She was always going to be this, like, kind of weird, cute girl. A lot of heart. Yeah, she's got a lot of heart. And, uh, yeah, I kind of have this funny relationship with high school stories there's like i'm i'm a really cynical i have i have a dark sense of humor but i kind of am a bit of a softy mm-hmm. so and i think it kind of comes across uh in my films that um while i i like a good bad joke i also <laughs> am like oh i feel for these characters a lot um and i really wanted a girl like irene to you know have a really positive outcome you also make a cameo again, just another time in school, similar to guidance where you're just boozing it up. Yeah. Sweater vest and the whole bit again. Yeah. And the thing is, is I wasn't going to do that, but my producers were like, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I ended up doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Is it hard to cast something like this? Because you need to get like uh, this, the right seniors. You need to get the right kind of Irene to get the heart. And like, obviously, like she's a fat actress. So like you need to find somebody that fits that mold and uh even test is that his name yeah yeah like you need to find like because to cast these people is it would seem kind of difficult because you want to strike the right note and kind of get the audience on your side if that makes sense it absolutely makes sense it was real. it was almost impossible to cast this film and the biggest hurdle was finding an our irene a, a girl who fit the part physically could carry a movie was funny and a good actor and we knew we were going to find a newcomer uh because that person doesn't exist like Mm. this irene was like we're going to have to search her search for her and find her and in fact we pushed the shoot twice because we couldn't find her Mm -hmm. we put out a casting call and we auditioned a lot of people nobody was good i mean we saw a lot of good talent but just people and the thing is, is we wanted it authentic and we wanted somebody young and there's a lot of people who you know 
Irene has a body that isn't encouraged to become an actor, so there's a, not a lot of people to choose from because they don't generally become actors because they're not, unfor unfortunately, they're not encouraged to become actors. Um, and so the people that we did see were very, uh, very new and almost terrified. So we knew we couldn't have somebody who we had to handhold a lot. Um, and what ended up happening was, so we did a casting call in Canada and basically saw tapes and auditioned people in person from all around Canada. And then we ended up getting an American casting director to do a casting call in the U.S. And we saw all these people um, from the U.S., people from like Alabama with the amazing cute accents. Oh, man. And then the funniest thing is we saw self-tape uh, from our lead, Michelle, uh, that came in through the American casting call. And it turned out she was from Etobicoke. So it actually, we had to, you know, spend money on finding an American to do a casting call in America to find a neighbor. So <laughs> I, I found that really funny. <laughs> For a story that's basically set in Ontario, too. And it's true. And it's like, we shot in Hamilton, and she's smack dab between Toronto and Hamilton in Etobicoke. So I just thought that was really, you know, like, poetic. Yeah. She does a great job, though, like, really sarcastic. Mm -hmm. No, she's really good. She was really great. And she has training in Second City, and she had, I think, done... Uh, maybe a commercial and a web series before Irene. So this was her big first role, uh, and she was a joy to work with. Yeah, give her a high five. She did a solid job. So High five, Michelle. There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like, because again, you've been carrying this around since 2008, and there's been a lot more kind of emphasis on this whole thing of like body shaming and fat shaming and uh, all that kind of, those kind of discussions online. Did that kind of start to influence some of your writing or was it always just kind of teen vibe? Because a lot of the teen movies are just about not fitting in or being an outsider. And she was clearly like, Irene is weird enough that she was always going to be an outsider, skinny or not. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Definitely. It's funny that it did. Like the with Facebook and social media and everything, like the body positive movement really blew up um, and it got a lot of support. But it also brought out the trolls, too. And I was never intending this to be uh, uh, referencing the the internet and all of that too much or cyberbullying. I didn't really want to make it about that. Um, but yeah, the it's it's interesting. I I almost it was really casting it. I even like looked. Uh, asked the like body positive bloggers to help find her. Like, can you put a casting call on mm -hmm. her? Um, and so they were actually a great ally in a sense. Um, but I think I'm rambling and I didn't actually answer your question. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> Things just sometimes when people watch something like this, right? A high school movie, like I was saying, is just all about trying to fit in and trying to, be, you know what I mean? And so she wants to just join the cheerleading cheerleading squad, which mm -hmm. is just a normal high school response. And unfortunately, it's a, could be even sometimes just being like you're not pretty enough to join that team or yeah. whatever the girls are stuck up or whatever and those kind of things but then you add this extra layer of like being uh, cute and round then it's extra pressure because it's, you're not they're not going to accept you right because we know these discussions we've seen these discussions online yeah so you sure. can't it adds an extra layer of like oh man i don't know if this is the best thing for you like yeah well totally and i actually wanted to create a story about a teen girl who you know is fat and learns to just love it and not actually change during the process and I think that there's a lot of movies where you see these girls, teen movies, where you see these girls who are, like, kind of unique, and then their character arc is to lose it. Yeah. And it's seen as a positive thing, and I kind of think that's bullshit. So yeah. what I really wanted to do was have this teen girl who's like, no, I'm not going to go on a diet, 
but she's so lovable and almost naive that that wouldn't even be an option because she didn't even think about it. Like, I didn't want her to really question her body too much. I just wanted her to, like, gun forward and do what she needed to do. Yeah, and I think that's the key, too, because it's just, like, she is kind of naive, but it's it's really charming naive, right? Yeah. Where it's, like... She already knows she's fat. So when you point it out to her, she's like, yeah, so what? Do you want to get a slice of pizza, basically? Yeah, yeah. All right? It's yeah. like, let's move on. Like, I already know. So what else do you want to talk about? Totally. Totally. And, and the, you know, there's a scene with the mom who, you know, says that she's overweight. And she's like, well, I'm fat. And I love being fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of, she grows to come to that rather than grows to change. Uh, and I wanted to tell that story. And I almost wanted to make the whole cheerleading squad something that would be intimidating but ultimately accepting yeah uh because i think that we enter into all of these environments and we're kind of afraid of the people that you know surround our goal but what if we're wrong and they actually accept you because there's a lot i didn't want to have like you know too much girl on girl bashing mean girls mean girls i almost wanted like a couple mean girls sure but oh the one in the movie oh, nasty she's, she's terrifying yeah, yeah she's I was like, really oh, bad. you can't hit a girl but i was like mm, oh man <laughs> yeah. she got on my nerves no but she was really well performed by aviva mangillo who is on that show backstage and is a singer as well so mm-hmm. no she was great to work with it's so funny how the people who play the mean meanest people are always the sweetest yeah and with guidance you kind of put a lot of your own uh you kind of talked about this in a number of interviews how you kind of put a lot of your own insecurities uh being a child actor and all these things that kind of fueled a lot of the storyline and guidance uh, some of your insecurities kind of floating into this as well like because it's the same it's a similar thing of just trying to fit in and teens teen high school and uh you being a gay dude obviously too like there's a lot there right so is it kind of fueling into that as well 100 percent. it's like I, I, somebody say like filmmakers only really tell the same story over and over again. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much what I'm doing. Yeah, stuck in high school, self acceptance. It's always the same thing, and I and one day I probably will graduate from that theme, but not yet. Uh, so yeah, there. I mean, I was basically Irene in high school. I was awkward, and I didn't have any friends, and um, I just found it really hard to fit in. And you know, you have a goal, but you're not sure you're confident enough to pursue it. And you kind of feel like you don't have anyone pushing you forward. But with Irene, I wanted to, her to have some sort of, you know, magical mentor. And th- that's where the Gina Davis thing comes in. How cool was it to work with Gina Davis? Uh, it was great. You always worry when you meet a hero that they're going to let you down. But she was so lovely and really easy to work with. Pretty much, like, there wasn't any issues with her. And it was the first time that I've worked with, like, an actual movie star, like, Oscar-winning movie star. And I was so nervous because you don't know. And their image is so – you're so used to their image, but you don't know who the, what they're actually like to work with. But she was lovely. So easygoing. She seemed to like the script, too, like, the the storyline. And, like, she seemed to be having a lot of fun, too, the way she's kind of delivering the dialogue and, like mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. No, she, she was great. She uh, – uh, we I sent her the script and a letter, and we had a phone conversation about, uh, like, before she signed on officially, uh, about, like, how it was going to play and what kind of actors I was going to get. And she seemed to really like it. She said it was very funny. And, you know, I think it, it fits into her sense of humor because just based on her her um, choices that she's made as an actress, like The Long Kiss Goodnight is, like, a ridiculous movie, but it's so funny. And, you know, she does say suck my dick in that, in yeah. that movie. So... I kind of like her because she's a bit of a like she's you know Hollywood a Hollywood legend but she's almost a bit of an outsider as well. 
Yeah. And she doesn't feed into all the bullshit that you tend to see with other actors where she was like, you know what? I want to have a family. And I think that she's happily married. She has some kids and she doesn't really need to hustle. She's mm-hmm. Gina Davis. Yeah. You know? And that one, Louise, people still kind of me- reference it and kind of bring it up and stuff like that. So she's made like a couple of films like that where that they've left a significant mark. Mm-hmm. No, she, she's made some iconic, she's played some I- iconic roles that are will always be in film hi- history. Like, Thelma and Louise is a brilliant movie. And you don't see those movies anymore, which is really, really sad. When you have strong female characters, they're Wonder Woman. And I think that that's kind of shitty. Yeah. Why is that, though? Is it just because of the box office, you think, or the studios got cold feet or like? I don't know. I think that there's a shift happening right now. I mean, I really wanted Wonder Woman to do well because to prove that, you know, you can have a lead woman. But I just kind of wish that we saw more flawed leads in movies. And Thelma and Louise are that's the perfect movie because we have two flawed human beings both women mm-hmm. uh, leading a movie and it made a lot of money and now I think that people are just worried I mean even independent cinema and more dramas aren't doing as well and you know I just I'm not that interested in superhero movies so hopefully we'll make a comeback to those movies kind of going back to Thelma Louise too it's like two women that are working it out which mm-hmm. is kind of like what a teen movie is right you For just sure. see a character, a group of characters kind of working it out and trying to fit in and know this doesn't work. And what if I wear this leather jacket or what if I wear lipstick or something, whatever it is. Right. right? And you see them working it out on film. And generally, it's like an hour and a half of like not every experiment failing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, for sure. And then um, like, oh, God, now we lost our money because I had sex with Red Pitt. And yeah. like, oh, OK, I'm going to hold up a liquor store. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing that I love about that movie is it's, like, really empowering but really sad at the same time. And it always gets me. It's, like, I love that they make the ch- choice to, you know, drive over the edge of the cliff or the Grand Canyon, rather, mm-hmm. not just a cliff, at the end of that movie. But it's just so sad. And it's a perfect movie because you feel uh, empowered but saddened by the end of that movie. It's, like, I, I wish I could write a movie as brilliant as that movie. Can you clarify something for me as a straight dude? Is Gina Davis considered like a gay icon? I know like my gay friends, they kind of talk about uh, Barbara Streisand and uh, Madonna, Lady Gaga, some of the common ones. But I never really hear them talking about like Gina Davis. But she seems to fit the kind of model. She, she she does. But the thing is, I think about Gina Davis is I think that she's more of a feminist icon because she has her um, media, gender and media studies. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Institute. Uh, and she's just kind of documenting who's on TV. And... Yeah. And just kind of pushing about like more representation uh, by, you know, for girls and women in, in the in- industry. But I think that she's more of a feminist icon because she's just played these like action movies. She's been in these action movies. She's Tough broad. very smart. She's a Mensa member. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's also like she started out as a model and is so much more than that. And she's so... Um, but in terms of the gay thing, I think that of the old, the you know, the actresses of that generation, I feel like um, Meryl Streep has sort of taken over. I think that gay guys love Meryl Streep. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, and they love Tilda Swinton. That one Tilda makes... Swinton yeah. is like, and I, I think it's just because she's a very interesting looking, handsome actress. Yeah. Who is just plays it different in every single movie. And sometimes she's really big. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> and she's fluid. Like, like Gary Oldman's the same way where, like, you sometimes watch a whole movie and you didn't realize that was him until yeah. you see the credits. And Tilda's the same way. It's like she's a chameleon, like, hiding in plain sight. Definitely. Definitely. And then aside from Gina Davis, you also had Scott Thompson in. Yes. That was so cool to see him, yeah. like, back in business and doing jokes and sarcasm and, like... Yeah, it was great. He was a... Um, I really, really wanted him, and it was great that he loved the script, and because uh, he was like a hero of mine, like in he was really part of my coming out experience. I think that, you know, I religiously watched Kids in the Hall, and I remember in high school people would ask me what my favorite show was, and I said Kids in the Hall, and they would like make fun of me for it because <laughs> I think that I liked it before it was cool. Yeah, I liked it like right from the start, and I think that you know, fourteen year olds don't really understand dressing up in women's clothing and like pretending to be a secretary but i i always knew that that's <laughs> that was special you know you were in on the joke it's almost like an inside uh, exactly. joke exactly oh yeah i was doing yeah. the same in my basement <laughs> um but he uh, he was great to work with he was really funny and really and really cool do you feel the teen movies need to be kind of updated a little bit like with cell phones and cyber you mentioned cyberbullying uh tash is another character in the in your movie where like He's kind of experimenting a little bit. He's wearing lipstick and things like that. And then, like, Irene has that funny line with him. He's like, are you a boy today? Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and right. it's like, do you think the teen movies need to kind of be updated and be a little bit more modern? Or do you think those stories are just kind of, they're universal, which is just kind of not, out, like, outsiders and trying to fit in? Well, I think that every teen movie is going to be some, there's going to be some sort of outsider element to it. And then trying to figure out what what they're doing here. Because mm-hmm. high school is just such a strange place to be like thrown into and we all have to do it. But I feel like now, te- teen movies, when we, we were younger, I feel like we're a bit more sophisticated or something. And I feel like now the teen, everything's become so safe and Disney-fied that I kind of wish that they um, updated it and kind of made it a, gave their audience more credit. Yeah. Like you see stuff on the stuff that's like really teeny is actually meant for tweens now. I mean, there's, there are exceptions of course, like edge of 17 that we were just talking yeah. about. Like that was like a real teen movie with a girl with a problem. Uh, I don't know if it did very well. I kind of um, I tried to push it as much as I could because I liked it. Like, it's a great it's like, a great uh, movie and like really good performances. Um, yeah, Haley Girl was solid. Like the I forgot the Chinese dude, but the the best yeah, friend. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, super awkward. Like he's a solid best friend in yeah. terms of the teen totally. genre. You had the sarcastic, not give a damn uh, teacher like Woody Harrelson and, and Kyra Sedgwick. Is that who the mother was? Yeah, yeah. She was in. Was it Kyra? Yeah, yeah. Kyra. She yeah. was interesting because. You know, mother with a problem, you know, and she played it very well. Yeah. For this movie, too, like you had a lot of like support in terms of financial. And is that kind of getting easier trying to get all those different grants and trying to raise all that money? Or is that another issue, too, with like what you're talking about with like uh, filmmaking and the type of movies that people want to see? That's tough. I mean, we had a lot of support in in this country with with um, filming, but you never have enough. So it's like, yeah, we had more money than we had guidance, but we were still like scraping to make it work because we had a pretty big cast. We had, you know, music and we wanted to have music that people knew. And so. Yeah, I got some Milli Vanilli in there. Got some Milli Vanilli, yeah. Which was very expensive. But um, but anyway, I, I feel like while we had more money than we had on guidance, 
it didn't really change the amount I was able to play on set. So it's like I was still rushing through scenes, not able to get many takes, just because the scope of the film was bigger. And while the pot of the money is bigger, it gets thrown to more places. So you actually, the experience for me as a filmmaker didn't really change that much. But we were very, very happy to get a lot of support. Telefilm came in, OMDC came in, we got tax credits, Harold Greenberg Fund. Like, more people helped finance this movie than uh, than Guidance, but I think it also has more of a, um, like, it's a more commercial, I think. Yeah. In a, in a way. This experience after Guidance where you learned how to kind of, like, uh, both market the film and distribute the film and stuff like that, does that kind of affect, too, how you approached Irene? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Your only good question. Ah, uh, no, excuse me. <laughs> uh, God, I think I knew not necessarily in terms of marketing, or but I knew that the issues that we had in the edit of guidance. I knew I became a better writer with Irene because I knew all of the stuff that got cut out of guidance. I knew that I can sometimes be overindulgent in terms of funny lines for in a scene and. The scene has too many beats, so I would I knew I had to like cut a lot before we shot. In terms of marketing, I I do think that well because we could get a star that brings some value, uh, and we were able to you know get Gina Davis or Scott Thompson, and that definitely did come into play because she brings an audience. She's not like as big as other uh, actors are are right now, but she does bring value. Like, people know who she is. Exactly. How's the TIFF experience as you go into it this year? Because you, you had a great TIFF uh, with guidance. So are you going to be doing more parties, less parties? Are you going to adjust anything? Because it, it gets wild. It does get wild. Especially gonna, as a filmmaker. Oh, so tiring. I'm going to try not to do as many parties. But I know myself well enough to know that That's a I'll lie? say I'm going to go for one drink and I'll stay there until 3 in the morning. And then I'll have to get up and do an interview and... That's that's the thing that was pretty crazy during TIFF is with guidance. It was I think the first screening was on the Friday or the Saturday, like right at the beginning. So I kind of got all the intense stuff out of the way at the beginning. This is on Monday, so I think that I have to be very, very, very well rested and well behaved before Monday rolls around, and it's going to be very, very challenging. All right, good luck with that. <laughs> I know, <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> we got to talk about the, the the dancing too. Where did all those sweet dance moves come from when the seniors start to move and Irene and like, I know it's cheerleading based, but there's a couple extra ones in there that are kind of sweet. Yeah. So our Mark Kimmelman, our choreographer used to like when he still dances now, but when he, and he showed us these videos of when he was like nine years old and he would do these performances on stage. A lot of them come from him as a child. So he would have these videotapes that I guess his parents would videotape of him, like performing at school or whatever. So a lot of the moves came from him when he was a kid, which is really cool. And then also a bit of like, he's gay too, right? He's a choreographer, obviously. (laughs) So he had a lot of like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, but he had a lot of like sass with the, with the finger pointing and all that stuff. So just throwing as much of that kind of subtextual gay stuff into a dance move is always fun. Yeah, there's. That's why I sent you. An, I sent you an email uh, last night, but it, it's wonderfully gay. The whole movie, like that's why I was asking about Gina Davis and some of the dance moves and stuff. Even though it's not overt or anything like that, it's just a really nice kind of subtext, it's like a salt and pepper, 
over the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Like a squeeze of the homo all <laughs> in every scene. You know? There you go. Yeah, yeah, they're not really talking about being gay, but it's sort of... Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like... You, I think it's always fun to just kind of pepper it in, and sometimes you film the subtext, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what we did. It's sort of like, in some ways, Irene can be a corollary or symbolic of like coming out of the closet and be like being okay with who you are, right? So, yeah, this is me. This is me. I'm fat and I'm a cheerleader. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you know? that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That should be the tagline for the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's a good one. We're trying to figure out one what one could be. So yeah, maybe I'll. There you that. go. Running by the PR <laughs> department. So good luck with that. Yeah, do that. Totally. For you, then, kind of similar to Irene's story, like she was okay with being fat and all that stuff. Like, do you see yourself then as like a filmmaker who's gay or do you see yourself as a gay filmmaker or does none of that matter then necessarily? You're just a filmmaker period. Oh, that's a good question. I think instead of saying gay, I feel like more of an outsider, which obviously includes as gay, but I feel like there are straight people who are filmmakers as well or straight people who are friends of mine who have the same sort of outsider thing that I have. Yeah. Um, and I identify more with that. Um, but I don't mind if somebody calls me a gay filmmaker or I'm a filmmaker who just happens to be gay. Like, I'm fine with all of it. But I think that I look at the world a bit differently that a lot of gay people – I mean, a lot of gay people are very, very straight in a lot of ways and are insiders – and kind of look at the world the way that the world is presented to that we're all used to. And I, I'm not one of those people. I just kind of look. I'm always interested in the characters that don't look like actors. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not that interested in like, quote unquote, conventionally hot people. Uh, I'm not interested in those stories. I could be less interested in seeing the story of really good looking men falling in love. So I'm, I don't know. I'm gay, but I'm not necessarily interested in in that yeah that makes necessarily. sense necessarily like even going back to guidance too like it informs like the whole outsider thing kind of informs your teen sensibility like that chip on the shoulder too where like you want to fit in and like you said like um, I'm Irene and I'm fat like you deal with it like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. your problem not my problem and it's the same thing I think sometimes too where like if somebody had an issue with you being a gay filmmaker it's their problem it's like I'm oh, a filmmaker sure. period like this is it you accept it right but you still have to work your way in through that community, at least as a filmmaker, right? Maybe not necessarily with the gay community, but as a filmmaker, you still have to find acceptance with TIFF and all those organizations. Mm -hmm, totally. And that sometimes can be difficult. That outsider status is great because it's like that's your chip on your shoulder and that's kind of keeps what, what keeps you going in a sense of fuel. Yeah, totally. And there's also like there's a challenge and pressure to have a brand. Like, everybody needs to brand themselves in some ways in this industry, right? It's like, do, what do I want to be? And, you know, I think that a lot of women filmmakers have to kind of play the women filmmaker role mm -hmm. um, because that's, like, a conversation that's happening right now. And that, that is the brand that they'll become. And uh, I think that's all positive, but it also kind of holds you back in a way. Yeah. And, but you also have to play a game. You have to play along with what... You have to play the game. Do you like playing the game, though? Um, I don't really love it, but at the same point, I don't... If somebody wants to, you know, label me as something, I'm fine with it. I don't really take myself very seriously in that regard, so I'm kind of okay with whatever. But I understand that there's a bit of a game that you have to play to get financed. And in terms of branding, you're two films in now. Do you feel like you have a brand or you've established a brand or like 
because you to me you really kind of corner this whole like teen outsider thing like we've been talking about right so like you do this well and i'm starving for teen films there's not a lot of i know like, me too so i'm like <laughs> anytime you put out something i'm like yo <laughs> <laughs> awesome thank you well hopefully i mean i would love it if people associated me with like odd teen movies like mm -hmm. that would be that's sort of a dream so i'm i welcome that that yeah. would be awesome are you going to continue making teen movies or what's the next project then i know it's like you just got this one out and well i am currently developing um like a limited tv series based on my experience in the ninth grade when my name is pat and i had long blonde hair and everybody assumed that i was a girl uh and i had a lot of experiences um basically as a teen girl because i made a lot of choice sometimes i would choose not to correct people and just kind of run with it so this is about um a 14 year old named taylor who everybody just assumes he's a girl on the first day of high school and he becomes that mm -hmm. and he actually learns that other people's perceptions of who he is might be more accurate than his own so it's sort of a gender coming it's sort of a non-binary what am I? It's exploring, you know, identity, gender identity, and sexuality in six episodes. Um, so I'm working on that. And I'm also developing a horror movie. Oh, yo. Yeah. yeah right? Okay, let's get into this. Yo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> my producer is writing a horror movie, and it's the leads are gay women. So it's like a gay female horror movie. And it's. Uh, well, I don't think. Yeah. Doesn't ha you don't see that that often. Yeah, I was just trying to think if I've seen gay people at all in horror movies. They're, like, they're not that common in horror movies. How come? Um, Is there a reason why? I can't even think of a reason why. Just general racism or just laziness? or it, It's tricky because it's such a, it's such a straight male-dominated genre. Yeah. Um, now there are more women coming in, but straight men generally don't really want anyone that wouldn't sleep with them in a movie. <laughs> well, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they also want to see women get murdered. And so it's like, this is sort of taking it well, back. Well, that's their fault for sleeping in the woods, that though. It's true. Right? It's true. And, you know. <laughs> and then smoking weed. What yeah. did you think was going to happen? Yeah, and you're going to a place with no cell service? What the hell are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, like, you kind of brought that upon yourself. Yeah, and you had sex. <laughs> so... But yeah, that's cool. So, so you're developing that one, or that one's written? You said the that one. A draft is written. We're hoping to shoot in the spring. Okay, and that'll be a feature. That'll like be a feature film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that again, it's set in the wilderness, so we're probably going to shoot it like outside of Toronto somewhere. But uh, it's we don't have financing yet, so we're hoping to get that off the ground. And then I just have another TV comedy mm -hmm. um, with a company here that I'm developing. I I know it's horror, but you kind of almost like it's almost like you're going back to the 80s again though right like i know horror has been doing really well with the conjuring and lights out and all these other movies mm. it follows and things like that but it's like the 80s was good to you eh i love the 80s movies yeah i always go back to them and it's like i find it really difficult to stay current because when i'm just relaxing and i just want to put on something i generally go back to the 80s it's a habit that i have to stop doing it because i just end up seeing the same thing over and over and over again <laughs> But uh, I always just tend, that's sort of the era, because I feel like it's innocent. The budgets for the kind of outcast movies were higher. And I love the music, like the scores in 80s movies are amazing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, Ferris Bueller, for example, has got great tracks. Oh, totally. Ira Newborn, I believe. Mm -hmm. I actually sent our composer a lot of 80s scores. 
to work on Irene because I wanted something synthy. Yeah, and um, you did. You got Lion. <laughs> she's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, do you know when the the screenings are for Don't Talk to Irene? Yep, September 11th, I believe, at 7:30, and September 13th at 6:30. I should double check that, but I'm pretty sure seven September 11th. Okay, wait. Hold on a second. Okay, here we go. Our premieres Monday, September 11th at 7.30 at Scotiabank 3. Yo! And our second public screening is Wednesday, September 13th at 6.30 in Scotiabank 10. All right. Thank you, Pat Mills, for coming in and talking 80s movies and uh, don't talk to Irene and uh, just hanging out and having fun. Yeah, thanks like, for having me again and thanks so. for the beer. Yeah, Always I guess we have a, a long-standing now, like, appointment now. Every TIFF, like, every Hopefully couple of every- TIFFs. Every couple of years, yeah, we have a film playing at TIFF, and I come back here and we chat. Okay, and that next works. Next time it'll either be about like, you know, grade nine looking like a girl or horror movies. Yeah, and lesbians. Yeah, perfect. Okay, that's perfect. Boom. I can't. We have to end it there. <laughs> there's, there's nowhere else to go after that. I guess that. that's true. Thank you, Pat. Thank you.